Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast, where we promise we're going to try and talk a bit about football. A weekend rather dominated by off-field issues, I'm afraid. So we've got a heck of a lot to get through during this week's show. I'm Dave Freezer. You can also hear us as ever on Future Radio 107.8 FM. Uh, just back from Dorset with uh, Connor Southwell, and we linked up with Paddy Davitt via Zoom to discuss a, a very eventful weekend. Uh, Pad, how are you doing? Um, you were otherwise disposed this weekend, but you've you sort of managed to, to keep across it all, haven't you? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I'll go. I, I go off off duty, and it all goes turbo. You know, they can't win a game <laughs> or they lose a game. So I'm not so Connor's fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, as we'll get into DF, probably not really about the game this weekend because of the the fireworks after from Mr. Farker regarding two of his uh, players who he's less than impressed with. So yeah, it was yeah a bit of an unusual one for me. Normally, I'd be I'd be there with you boys, but um, but having seen the highlights and that, I mean. Yeah, I think ultimately the game probably pales into insignificance with uh, Farkas highlights, of which anybody who hasn't seen them, please go to pinkham.com or, or one of our video platforms, Facebook, uh, YouTube, uh, and you'll see in all that unedited glory, Daniel's takedown of uh, two of his most creative players in a game. To me, I mean, you boys were there, so you'll be better positioned than me to talk about it. But a game that was probably crying out for a Campbell or Buendia because of that intelligence they've got to pick a hole in a a very well-drilled Bournemouth lineup, who seemed in the second half at least, when they got their noses in front, quite happy just to sit in and attack on the counter. So, to me, that was a perfect game for Buendia. But Daniel decided they they weren't in the right frame of mind and we move on. But uh, I don't think we've heard the end of it, boys. Uh, I, I thought we were missing out on a Sunday roast, but Daniel brought his electric carver with him to the... Uh to the post-match presser and uh, carved up some meat right there in front of the media. So that was uh, that was good fun. Um, but, I mean, Connor, the, it started off well, didn't we? But the absolutely horrendous weather in Norfolk that we'd had a few days, We, we just as we got further and further away from Norfolk, we could finally see the sun again. And it was like emerging into a different world, wasn't it? But uh, in terms of the game, you sort of, you've already written a piece, haven't you, that perhaps the, the scoreline doesn't necessarily represent the, the, the full story. No, I, th- I think in, with reflection, it, it probably screams of a of a draw. To to be honest with you, it's it's one bit of quality that's won a game, and and we know how much that can happen in the championship, and and that kind of leads back to Paddy's point about the two emissions, which we'll come on to in, in far more detail. But um, Norwich actually, in terms of their patterns of play, in terms of their possession, looked particularly in the second half a lot more like a Daniel Farker side. I don't think they necessarily have in the first two games, um, particularly against Preston where they didn't dominate the ball. They certainly did dominate the ball and they got it up to, to the final third and then probably lacked that creative edge, that sort of ability to unlock the door, really. Um, it just all feels a bit muddled at the moment with Norwich. I think there, there are plenty of positive aspects and um, I, I kind of get why people are frustrated with it because obviously the stuff from last season and the continuation and, and whatnot, but there were, for me, a, a lot more positives and Norwich will play worse than that as they probably did at Huddersfield and win games this season. So um, that's that's the disappointing aspect. I, I think it's important not to get car- too carried away with the performance. It's, it's frustrating, but Bournemouth is still a very good side. They're still a side that I think will be probably at the top end of the Championship come May and, and Norwich have gone there and, and dominated the ball, something they haven't done in a while and something that they're probably having to familiarise themselves with again. So... Plenty of pleasing aspects from the performance. I think plenty of positives they can draw from it, but equally plenty of things they need to work on as well. And these are subtle aspects. I mean, Quintia, his starting position isn't high enough. Uh, Puetta sort of takes the space that that perhaps players want to to drive into and utilise. But all those subtle things come across as quite major when when there's quite a lot of them. But look, we're three games into a season and and there are going to be teething issues with with the amount of players they have in the squad. So I don't think there's, there's any need for perhaps the panic and, and the reaction we've seen subsequently, because I actually felt second half that, that Daniel Farker and Javi Quintillo, when he, when he spoke to me, probably had a point in, in saying that it was probably a performance that had they have replicated it in their opening two games, they, they probably would have six points on the board. So um, in terms of performance, I don't think you can, you can quabble really, but again, it's, it's a moment of quality and, um, and, and maybe some questions defensively that they need answering ahead of Saturday. Yeah, Bournemouth were definitely better than than Huddersfield and Preston in terms of quality. Although you know Preston tactically were very good, obviously in that game, weren't they? But yeah, you're you're right. There's a real feeling of there's a lot of pent up 
frustration and anger from from that horrible uh, losing streak at the back end of last season and, and how everything fell apart. And I guess the whole uh, sort of weird world that we live in at the moment and, you know, the remnants of lockdown and, and, and all the difficulties of the, of the pandemic are, are making a lot of people, you know, quite tense. And, and perhaps that is being... That's the sort of an outpouring of that is coming out in, in Norwich City terms it, when when the football's not not quite right. But yeah, it, it, it's not the end of the world, is it? This start to the season, Pad. But I remember, I remember when we did the the pink and live. Uh, I was talking about you know look at look at the squad Norwich have got. They you know they've, at the moment they've still got Campbell and Buendia and they've just brought in Hugel and Gibson and whatever. And now you know. Wendy and Campbell, who knows what's what's going to happen with them? Aaron's strongly linked. We, you know, Godfrey getting linked again today with clubs. Kieran Dowell, of course, the injury. So, this is a strange time, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, Daniel uh, called it bo- a bumpy period on Friday, pre Bournemouth, uh, where with hindsight now, some of his comments about you know might have to leave players out become crystal clear, don't they? But I think a bumpy ride is a massive understatement. It sounds like it's okay. going to be a lot of turbulence quite a nauseous, queasy sensation if you're a Norwich fan or even a head coach because and you've mapped it out there, all those players. Between now and October the 16th, in theory, in terms of domestic transfers, which is the Premier League, Norwich are, are ripe for picking if, if clubs come for any of those players. And look at my calendar, we're not even ticked over to October yet. So what we've experienced in the last sort of 24, 48 hours, I think we, it's basically going to be the norm for this next period. And Thankfully, probably from Daniel's point of view, that there's only the Derby game uh, in that period because obviously after this weekend it's an international break. So there may be the overhang going into this weekend. Although Derby, you know, without a point coming up, coming to Norwich after getting hammered at Blackburn, so they really should have enough about them to get a, get a good result there. Um, but still, Daniel Farker, as we sit here today, doesn't know what his squad looks like for the game after Derby. Um, and that must, must induce quite a, a degree of uncertainty in terms of how he wants to go about it. <laughs> would he Would he want to lose Max Aarons? Of course not. He's an absolutely intrinsic part of how Daniel Farker's team won the, this title two years ago. Um, OK, for the whole group. It didn't go as, as planned in the Premier League, but, but I think Max did enough to embellish his reputation. And, and he is rightly, when you look at the clubs he's, he's been linked with, and, and more than linked in Barcelona's case, rightly probably as good an, an English young talent as there is in any position. Why would Daniel Farker, as a head coach, want to lose an asset like that? Godfrey, to a lesser extent, and and even Buendia. Cantwell, for me, no, if he moves on, I don't think that materially impacts on what Norwich are trying to do. Um, I think I think it's it's too far gone now, uh, that relationship. Um, so, of the group, if they were only to lose Cantwell, I think they'd be more or less quite happy because they'll have brought in much-needed finance, which is increasingly a factor now, given fans aren't going to be allowed in for another five or six months. Yeah. I know Norwich said they were under no pressure to sell in this window, but I'm pretty sure they would have thought from October onwards, and we had the successful pilot against Preston, they would have hoped to get more and more and more fans back in the stadium. That isn't going to be the case now, so there's a huge revenue stream that's going to dry up for the next six months. Um, that might bring a bit more financial pressure to bear in this window, because they probably now do need to start thinking that they might have to shift the player or two in this window or the next one. So it's just a period of flux and the real job, which is trying to put a team on the park to win games, to get into the championship promotion set mix. That's not really the major issue at the minute. The major issue is can Norwich hang on to their best players? And nobody can sit here with 100% clarity and say either all four of those lads are going to go or none of them will go or one or two of them will go. And if that's the case, how can Daniel Farker plan? How can Norwich as a club plan? Um, and you understand his frustration. He called it a bloody transfer window yesterday, didn't he? And uh, I'm sure he'd use a few more choice phrases if he was allowed to in public. But until this window has passed, all bets are off for where Norwich are going this season. Yeah, and to just get a settled and happy squad, that is 
not helpful in the slightest. Right, let, let's split the pod then. Let's let's get stuck into this. Let's do Buendia, let's do Campwell, let's do transfers, and then we'll come back round to the to the Bournemouth game, um, which sadly almost feels a bit inconsequential, doesn't it? But it but it's not, of course. Uh, we'll do that in, in the second part. Um so just to, to set the scene a little bit, of course, during behind closed doors games, um Pad uh, has mostly had to interview Farker over Zoom, and I was expecting to be doing that at Bournemouth, but we were told we were going to be able to do it face to face for the first time socially distance of course we had to be wearing our masks um but we were back in the sort of normal media room at Bournemouth so that was great and fortunately I, I did have a little bit of video recording equipment with me so I was able to get the the video which is on the pink and YouTube channel or, or on our website so if you haven't already watched that we also put that audio out onto our podcast feed so I, I'm sure you that the vast majority of, will, of you will have heard that by now um but uh, you know I was sat in that room and it, it kind of felt a little bit like, uh, you know, is, is someone going to take Daniel Shovel away here? Because he just just kept going. And he was so, what, what I said about all that pent-up frustration and anger, perhaps we're seeing that in Daniel. Everything that you've just framed there, Pad, that frustration is bubbling under the surface for him. You know, when, of course, he chucked the Kieran Dow three-month injury on top as well. And it, it's a difficult time for him. But he went in hard, didn't he, Connor? But particularly on on Campwell, and and as Pat hinted out there, I do think to 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 see a way to their relationship being fully repaired from this point on seems unlikely. It would take some real clear the air tools because to to say things like um, I, I could have played Grant Hanley and Christoph Zimmerman up front, and they would have got as many assists in the last forty games as Todd. That's that's pretty harsh, and as some people have rightfully said as well, he he did score what six Premier League goals in that time as well. Yeah, I was I was a bit disappointed he didn't use me as an example. Actually, I, I might have might have got a few more. <laughs> um, that's <laughs> that's beyond the point. Um, yeah, it, it did it did feel, and I think looking back on the, those quotes, it, it does seem more aimed at Campwell than than Wendy for for whatever reason, and obviously that that Leeds United link popped up on, on a match day again. So whether that's frustration because it's kind of scuppered their their plans and whether uh, whatever sort of conversation happened um, surrounding Todd Campbell not being part of the travelling squad has, has obviously um, impact well has obviously impacted his his words there and what he said to, to the to the press because as we know he's, he's usually quite a, a calm and collected figure. But that said if, if there is a frustration, if there is something on his mind, he's not one to hide it. I think we've we've seen that with I go back to that Oliviera. Uh, I don't know if you describe it as a rant, but in, in terms of that quote around sort of the importance of the badge on the front rather than the name on the back. And you're right, it, it did feel like it's it's kind of reached a point where um, probably for, for that relationship, Campbell does need to move on. Um, didn't necessarily get that sense about Buendia because I don't think he, he necessarily went in as hard, but for whatever reason, it, it does feel, and, and you can even go back to the Stuart Weber comments uh, from from after Brighton about him sitting on the pitch. You know, it, it does feel like, for whatever reason, whatever's gone on behind the scenes, it, it does feel like that is a, a relationship that doesn't seem like it can be sort of repaired. And, and it is a shame because Todd was brilliant to watch last season. It, it was a brilliant story of a local lad coming through against all odds, against a, a backdrop of real criticism really from from us from the supporters and um he really expressed himself in the Premier League and he looked at home there and um certainly in terms of his output and, and I said to you yesterday if you could almost combine Emmy Buendia and Todd Campwell in terms of Campwell's goals and Buendia's creative statistics then you'd have a, a 30 40 million pound player on your hands so um that's probably kind of helped Norwich in a way that that they're probably missing a little bit of of what the other one has in terms of keeping them so far but it would be a real shame for me if it ended on sour terms after Todd coming through the academy, after him spending such a long time with the club, um, after him coming through being another successful academy graduate. Daniel Farkas really nurtured him, and it would be a shame if it if it parted on on bad terms. Um, but equally, he has to pick the squad that he feels is is best, and and you have to you have to take his point that if you're a, a Josh Martin or a Jordan Hugill and, and you're given a hundred percent in training every week and someone you noticeably given a, a little bit less and they're perhaps on the, on the bus and you're not, then equally that, that you, you have questions as well. So it's all about the dynamics of the squad and it's all about the squad harmony, but I think you have to be concerned about the bigger picture and maybe what it means for that squad and, and the togetherness, which we know he likes in a squad. 
um, what it means for that because there'll be some players look players talk then they're, they're not stupid mm. um, and and it's just about what the ramifications are on a on a sort of wider point but certainly based on on that sort of comment it, it doesn't seem as happy a camp as perhaps um, we've maybe perceived it to be in, in the past and and that's a real shame. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll probably never know exactly what sparked this off. But of course, that lead story coming out, um, you know, an agent is probably involved at some point there, aren't they? And we saw the same with with Max, with the, the Preston game the week before on the morning of a game that news gets leaked. And, and you know, the, the first we'd heard of that Max story was saying that Barcelona had turned their attentions to Serginho Dest from Ajax because Norwich hadn't liked the the idea of the of the loan element of their their sort of proposition, and I don't, don't think that's actually confirmed yet. But Dest is is imminently going to be going to to Barca, isn't he? So um, I think the Daily Mail today have said that that could mean Bayern Munich go back to Max Aaron's, but they've also chucked AC Milan and Roma in the mix as well, haven't they? So it feels a little bit like with, with the Norwich players uh, with with the crown jewels as they become known, you can basically just chuck any club you want in now, can't you? Any any of the nationals can just say whoever they want, and no one's really going to doubt it at this stage because there's been so. I mean, the the list for Godfrey now is ridiculous. I, I, I might read that out <laughs> later in the pod, but um, Pad, you know, we know Varka's a passionate guy, and when he gets going like this he can real really get on a run and and a lot of Norwich fans have loved that at various times um but this will have been a very purposeful thing if this isn't him uh you know this isn't off the cuff is it him and Stuart Webber will have discussed the way they want to want to play these things and that they will there will be sort of a, a strategy to, to the way they go public with these things won't they? Oh, all day long I mean that is true, but maybe the frustration of the, the a defeat and the manner of the defeat because that's a game they should never have lost yesterday. Maybe that's what's loosened his tongue to the degree that it did. But yeah, I mean he's he's a very measured, um, methodical type of coach. I mean this is this isn't the first time. I mean last season, Emmy Buendia came out and said that you know he you know forget the Kevin De Bruyne stats, he needs to do more. He's not good enough in many aspects of his football. Um, and he got, he did get a response out of him. I think uh, that was around about the Leicester game, which is, you know, the last game Road was full for, and he was excellent that night. And um, obviously, then the wheels came off in a big way going into the Burnley red card episode. But you know, he has used this tactic before to maybe light light something under these players. But but yeah, I mean, well, I mean whether they whether him and Stuart would have sat down in the in the build up to this game, I'm not sure. I mean, I know I did the Q and A earlier on Monday lunchtime, and one of the questioners was very unhappy that Daniel had basically on his press call on Friday afternoon, his pre match, had said Wendy is fit, uh, no issues with Cantwell, um, and then two days later they're not playing, and he's coming out talking about his attitude, and it was almost like well, Daniel was was disingenuous there on Friday. Why didn't you just say that they wasn't going to play? But you know, is he is he thinking that you know? That's where his head was at on Friday, but they still were training on Saturday before they went down to, to Bournemouth and maybe wanted to give him one last chance and then maybe they didn't produce what he was hoping for in that final training session and then his mind was finally made up. But, you know, I, I don't think Daniel would have sat there and thought, right, OK, I'm now going to uh, let rip on my post-match at Bournemouth. I think uh, it was probably an accumulation of the result and the, um, the frustration around that, and just you know, because of what was what was the previous week dominated by? You've said it there, Dave. It was him having a bat away about Max Aaron's this, Max Aaron's that. Three hours before the Preston game, the guy's phone lights up. Daniel's having to deal with that as well, and then for the second championship game running, he's having to deal with with for him unwanted distractions because after all the baggage of last season and relegation, uh, and then the squad refresh, there was a lot of positivity, and that is seeping away now, and it's getting dragged down by he probably feels elements outside his control. I mean, if it was no transfer speculation, he was putting that team out on the park, he was picking the players he wanted to, and the results weren't coming, then fair enough. But I think you can, you can almost take him out of any blame at the moment in terms of certainly what's happening on the pitch because, you know, any coach would, would struggle. You know, even the top, top coaches in the world, if they're having to bat away every press conference, where's X going? Where's Y going? What's, what's the latest on... Zed, you know, it's just uh, it's just an unhealthy situation and it reinforces for me the absolute folly of planting a, a transfer window this far into a football calendar. Um, and you might come back with, well, what could they do in, in these very unusual times? 
But even in a normal times, we get the overhang of the transfer window when the football season's already started. And unfortunately, if you're a Norwich whose model is is built on the furnishing some very highly rated young players, then by definition, you're going to have to deal with the, the sort of negative elements of that to a greater degree than certainly any other club in the championship. So, you know, there is there is a lot of mitigation. But but in terms of the original point, Dave, to you know, Farker using the press conference as a, as a tool to, you know, maybe everything he would have said, as unvarnished as it was, he'll have said to Campbell privately, you know, Daniel is a man who carries himself um, with that respectful air and he expects that in return. And there's no way he would have gone in there and said things that he hasn't said to Campbell in the privacy of his office at Colney or Weber for that matter. And if the carrot isn't working, then maybe a bit of stick is required. And, now, to those boys for this week on the training pitch, if they still really want to show him, or, or whether even if it's just a temporary, I'll show you, then maybe you'll get a tune out of them and, uh, and then we'll see see them back in the fold. Because the thing is with Daniel, there'll be no grudges there at all. He's, ta- he's talked, he talked again before the game Sunday and after about it. There's no anger on his part towards those players. He understands the human element of young players having to deal with this scenario. They've got agents, family, friends, all, all in their ear. It's not easy. He understands the human element, but Max Aaron's has managed to cope with it, it would appear, uh, and he's had a lot more to deal with than those two lads. So, ultimately, if they show him enough on the training pitch this week, I could conceivably see them back in the mix for Derby, and then who knows? It, it might tilt again in a positive direction, but I think as we sit here now, the reality is, come the end of the window, I'd be amazed if Tom Cadwell is still an Orange player. Yeah, you'd love to be a fly on the wall in Daniel Farker's or Stuart Webber's office at the moment, wouldn't you? I bet there's some interesting conversations going on. Actually, me, me and Connor were listening to uh, the Leeds Sheffield United game on the way down to, to Bournemouth and Patrick Bamford scored again. And um, and we were also talking about Jared Bowen, weren't we? You know, two other players who maybe a bit like Campwell have stepped up to the Premier League and found that the the, the pace of the game at that level almost suits their their style a little better because we definitely saw that with Todd, didn't we? And, and immediately, whether he's been, we don't know whether he's been fully switched on or not really in these games, but we haven't, he hasn't looked to be quite as comfortable with the, the championship sort of scrappy nature, has he? You know, he, he, he gave it a good, there was plenty of effort at Huddersfield, but he didn't look sort of, silky or anything like that did he um so yeah a, a really interesting time um, i've just pulled up that list of uh clubs who were linked with who've been linked with ben godfrey so i try to keep track of every rumor from a you know decent uh, media outlet um so this is just since the january window closed um i've got spurs arsenal Borussia Dortmund, Red Bull Leipzig, Newcastle, AC Milan, Napoli, Bayer Leverkusen, Manchester United, Leeds, Rennes, Fulham and Everton. I mean, do you want to chuck anyone else in there just just for the lols? <laughs> it's, it's just getting ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, the amount of things. And, and like you say, Pat, I really don't like how the transfer window is open during the season because in recent years they had started moving away from that hadn't they the, the transfer window was closing before the Premier League campaign started um, and the, the, the sort of that was being the knock-on effect of that was being felt um, in the championship wasn't it and that, I don't really even with this different calendar this year I don't really see what why it's needed to carry on um, just as a reminder the deadlines um, the European window is 11pm on Monday October the 5th and then the domestic window continues until 5pm on Friday, October 16th. So Premier League clubs still allowed to do business for until then. But for me, I mean, you could easily have, you know, Norwich's final game was what, July the July the 5th or 6th in, in, at Manchester City. Um, you know, the, the window could basically have opened then and closed in early September and everyone would have had two months to do business. I don't really see what the need is for it to continue, you know, the, the whole international break. There are going to be so many players inhibited by transfer speculation now, aren't they? Like Jamal Lewis in the last one, who ended up missing a Northern Ireland game to go and sign for Newcastle. There's going to be that sort of stuff affecting countries. I know it's only the Nations League, but it just doesn't make um, just doesn't make sense, really, does it? So, um, yeah. But on Godfrey Connor, um, a couple more links today: Fulham and Everton. Um, can could you see him <laughs> joining either of them? I mean, Fulham maybe, but they're not exactly dead certs to be staying up are they no not really I, I think I think what we'll see now and we'll probably see increasingly for the next two weeks is is a lot of names um, linked to or a lot of 
players linked with lots of clubs as agents desperately perhaps try and and, and move their their clientele on and, and that is the nature of it isn't it that is their job and um, I get the sense it's going to be a turbulent couple of weeks for Norwich and, and it's going to be difficult as you said it's, it's that uncertainty that makes it impossible um, because how can you possibly plan for, for anything and, and how can you say to a group of players and, and how do you get a message across to a group of players that may be looking alongside them to a player going, I don't know if you're actually going to be here next month and I don't know if you are in it for the long haul. It's, it's very difficult. And this is kind of the nature of a, a team after they've been relegated is kind of that the top talent gets picked off. Some people still have their heads in the Premier League and you're left sort of looking around questioning who really is in it for the right reasons. And, Daniel clearly is, has decided that those two aren't. I think, to be fair to Ben Godfrey, despite all of those links, um, he is still playing. And I think he started the season relatively well, actually, um, along with Max Aaron. So you can only really praise those two for, for their attitude and their application since relegation, because as we've seen, it's it's probably quite easy to, to maybe have your head turned and, and to get caught spinning a little bit. But those two have acted professionally and, and, and they've put their club before themselves. And regardless of if they're here, after the October deadline or not, I think um, they, they deserve a lot of praise for how they've handled the speculation because clearly it's it's not easy for for young players and, it, and especially given how many people they, they have in their ears now, as, as, as Paddy said earlier. So um, it would be incredibly easy for a player to get blown, you know, get linked with Borussia Dortmund, Arsenal, etc. And, and think, OK, I'm probably above this level a little bit. But um, he certainly on the surface doesn't look to have done and he looks to be keen and fairly hungry to improve as well. And clearly if Daniel Farker didn't feel his, his attitude was right and his, his application wasn't correct, then well, we've, we can see from, from Sunday that he wouldn't be in the match day squad. So it's a testament to Ben really and to Max um, leading by example. And, and hopefully it, it's a, a nice quiet um, end to the window and, and it just gets pushed shut gently as opposed to, to slam as people like to say, but um I, I get the sense it's it's probably going to be a, a pretty turbulent um, two weeks. And it wouldn't surprise me if most Norwich fans end up watching from behind the sofa as, as they see another one of their their crown jewels, so to speak, get, get linked with a club. And um, yeah, I, I think realistically it's going to be a difficult one because if the if theoretically they do let go of, of Campwell and Buendia, well, can they get away with, with not signing a replacement? I don't think so. I think then they have to go back in and, and suddenly you get caught up in the frenzy of the last two weeks of the window. So it's really difficult. And then equally, you've got to explain to your supporters why you've let go two of your your best players. And whilst sort of saying that you, you want to compete at the top end of the championship, those two things don't match up. So it's going to be incredibly difficult two weeks for them. It's going to be incredibly interesting. Um, and probably incredibly frustrating as well, I suspect. And I, and I think everyone, in, including us guys, really will will breathe a sigh of relief once that window does close because it's it's dominated the early part of the season. And from my perspective, probably probably ruined it a little bit as well because it was a, a, a pretty good performance yesterday, actually, despite the defeat. And um, I think that the noise that's sort of gone on subsequently maybe is as, as clouded some people's judgment on, on how they've sort of taken it. Because as you said, there was a lot of anger before kickoff um, and, and that kind of feels magnified by the results, sadly. Yeah, the uncertainty has definitely created that. I mean, for all, you know, those four players, um, and you could have kept Lewis in this bracket as well, probably. I, I think they would all be... A, they would be much better players for having one more season in the championship. They'll be more rounded. You know, Max Ahrens will definitely be ready to become a Premier League player. He's still so young if he's got another championship season under his belt. And Ben Godfrey as well. I still think he needs a, li- you know, a little bit uh, of, uh, of finishing and a little bit of um, toughening up in some ways. And, and I just don't think he's the finished article. And, you know, all of them, if they did, would be better off for it in some ways. So, you know, could they look at it in ways of look, just give us till January, and if we're not in the mix, then 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 we will sell you. We'll make sure we actively sell you. You know, you think back to the past of sort of your Dean Ashtons and, and Rob Green and, and and things like that. So the one that always stands out um, for me, which um, I'm going to have to blame you for, Pad, uh, when I was younger, was um, when Craig Bellamy left and uh, and joined Cove and. For some fans, when you lose that sort of star player, say Wendy goes off and joins whoever it ends up, you know, if it's Wolves or something, just to pick a name out of the out of the air. Some for some fans that really cuts deep, doesn't it? And and, and Bellamy is one that always stuck out in my mind. Um, one thing that's not getting talked about a lot, Pad, um, is those three players who've been ostracised. 
Um, Josip Dermic, Mo Leitner and Tom Tribal. Um, Dermic scored again for the under-23s on Friday. Leitner also played. They beat um, Palace 3-0. Now, Stuart Weber was very critical of the Stephen Naismith situation, wasn't he, when he first came to the club and, and how they'd come down with this player on, on big wages. They have got three players currently sat there who, you know, that October 5 deadline for overseas deals is getting pretty close. And at the moment, there's not really any talk of them going anywhere, is there? So if they end up lumped, uh, being, being sort of uh, lumped with them until January, that, that doesn't look good on them really, does it? Not really, no. But I mean, the flip side of what you said when you quoted um, sort of the Ashton Green scenario, well, that might apply if you're in the Leitner tribal Dermich camp that we don't want any part of this window now. It's just completely up in the air, the whole COVID situation. There's nothing really that floats their boat because they'll have been in interest, but it, but it is it interest that turns into a tangible, come and join us and, and we'll meet, meet the financial package you're on at Norwich. And if that isn't the case in this window, they might be thinking themselves, just, okay, I've been told I'm not part of Norwich's plans, but I'm going to turn up. I've got a contract, I'll train, I'll play in the 23s and then maybe have a look in January because that obviously then gives them a longer lead into that window to to hopefully their agents can can put, put some deals together. I mean, it's increasingly looking like it's probably unrealistic that all three will be out the door in the next two weeks. So, you know, is the scenario there that they could come back into the first team fold? It'd be hard to see that unless... I could only really see if there was a change of head coach or if the results headed south in a big way because then there would be a clamour for a, you know, I even saw it yesterday about, you know, McLean and Rob get them out and stick uh, Leitner in alongside Skip and that could be a central midfield that would, would offer you a little bit of everything. So even straight away, you know, exponentially, every game they don't play them guys, they become even better players if the team aren't winning. <laughs> um, you know, Tribal will... will people will forget that what you can't do against the ball and start crying out for that man on the ball who keeps it ticking and gets himself about the park. And who knows, you know, if, if they're not scoring, it's very, very hard to even, in the most optimistic of ways, construct an argument that Dermich would climb over either Hugel and Pookie to Norwich's first team. So I don't see that happening in any way, shape or form. But ultimately, if those three don't move on in this window, as I say, it... it it won't be because Norwich didn't want them to go. They've made it quite clear. You know, if you're training with the 23s and playing with the 23s, then you're definitely not part of the plans. And and for them to come back into the fold if they were to stay here, I think is an admission that it hasn't quite worked for Farker and Weber in that facet of the summer rebuild. So I don't see that happening um, for, for various reasons. But I could, I could conceivably see that beyond October the 16th, they are still in the building. And then, as I say, it's maybe, you know, keep your head down, be a good boy. Um, and then we'll see again in January. But from a financial point of view, yeah, uh, it doesn't help Norwich's cause to have certainly Dermich on decent wages and the other two lads as well, um, money going out of the club. But I guess if you, you touched on him there, if you draw a parallel with Jarvis and Naismith, then it's a considerably smaller amount of money that there's going into a direction where they're getting no material benefit. So that is one small silver line in, in this scenario. But, you know, ultimately... Um, they have contracts. Norwich were quite happy to give them them contracts, and and if if they're honouring their side of it, then it's for Norwich to move them on. Uh, obviously, with the caveat that if you're those three players, um, for all reasons, certainly Dermich didn't get a lot of game time because of his injuries in recent years. He'll want to be playing. You would think Tribal and Lightner still want to play. They've got plenty of years ahead of them. It's not in their interest just to be parked playing with Norwich's 23. So that just needs a bit of common sense from all parties. But um, Right here, right now. Yeah, it's, it's more than possible that maybe one, if not more, of those lads are still here beyond October. Yeah, Dermich has got the Euros to eye as well, hasn't he, with Switzerland? There, there was, was it the was it PA who said that Leitner had spoken to... Championship clubs, yeah. Championship clubs, was it? But they were unnamed, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, they did speak to his agent earlier in the summer, I think, PA. So, I mean, there probably is some legs in that. But... Um, which championship clubs will want Moritz Liner, I'm not sure. And, and, mm-hmm. and ultimately, him and Light, him and Tribal would still be on a decent salary. It might it might simply come down to the financials. There, there might be interest, but if they they can't command the money they're on at Norwich, then a la Jarvis, a la Naismith, why would you move, you know? Uh, unless it tilts to a point in their careers where they need to be playing games. Um, so it's an interesting one, yeah. But I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it's an interesting aside. It doesn't really materially impact on where Norwich are going because... It's been quite clearly spelt out. They're not part of the plans. 
yeah, Lightner, they're not going to loan Lightner to a team that could be a promotion rival, are they? And is he going to want to join a team in the lower half of the championship? No. So very interesting to see. Just finally on the transfers then, and we'll come to the game. Uh, Connor, since we last recorded the pod, um, there's been more loan movement, hasn't there? Sam McCallum certainly caught some people out on, on loan as um, as he joined Paddy's boys at Coventry. Uh, Sonani and City uh, going to, uh, well, certainly Danal Sonani, that... Um, there were plenty of people moaning about him going out and that was before Dow's injury and all this stuff kicking off as well, wasn't it? And joining Westland Beveren in the in the Belgian top flight and uh, Akin Famuo to League One with Charlton, which seems a, seems a good loan move. So, yeah, it, it's just been such a hectic time, isn't it? Bonkers, isn't it? Bonkers. Football, <laughs> football is, is increasingly bonkers. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can really argue with any of those loan moves, to, to be to be completely honest. I think Famuo is, is the is the sort of eyebrow raising one for me. That's a really good move to, if he can get minutes at Charlton in, in League One under Lee Bowyer, then that's a, that's a, a brilliant sort of step for his development. I think, of course, uh, you only have to look at what Ben Godfrey did in, in League One and, and how sort of significant a step that was for him. If Norwich City don't get themselves back at the first time of asking and maybe Ben Gibson returns to Burnley, then if Akin Fumewu can can do a decent job at Charlton and, and sort of show evidence that he's capable of stepping up, then that's a, a viable solution without really having to dip into the transfer market. So um, that's that's a positive. I think Sonani, I'm not particularly surprised about. I think he he looked um, in, in those preseason games, what I saw, uh, incredibly raw. And it is such a, a massive jump uh, from, from Luxembourg, which is essentially amateur football to, to English football. So it makes sense to bridge that gap and, and, and go to Belgium, Melvin City as well, gets gets minutes. And of course, these players are at a stage in their development where they do need to, to go out on loan McCallum as well. It, it, I, I can understand why people are confused by it, but equally it makes no sense to his development to have a 20-year-old a sat on Norwich's bench as a, a, a sort of reserve left-back that doesn't do anything for his development apart from stagnate it, really. So he needs to go out and play games. He's got a great opportunity to do that in the Championship um, with a manager that knows him really well, um, a very progressive football club um, who are trying to do things the right way. So so that makes sense as well. And uh, it ultimately, they need to take it as a compliment because Norwich only sort of loan out the players that they have real belief in that they can uh, they can push on. So um, it'll be interesting to watch how, how they all develop. But for me, for me, that's that's the one to get excited about. And he played um, 64 minutes, didn't he, in Charlton's defeat to Lincoln. So if he can get a sustained run of football under Lee Bowyer, then uh, I, I think there's... Um, there's, there's uh, prospects for, for him and, and it's it, that it could be a really good low move so um, yeah we, we watch with interest From true crime to football Brexit to folklore for more great podcasts from Archant head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant Right, let's kick off part two then with a closer look at the game. I'm just going to kick off uh, with a mention for Norfolk's next top model, Connor Southwell, who you will hopefully have seen on our Facebook page Saturday morning, was modelling expertly the new Norwich City third kit. Um, Pad, what, what did you think of it? The, the, the modelling uh, job? Oh, it was tremendous. Yeah, tremendous. <laughs> it's a catwalk. Thank you. Yeah, I can see can see him in like the the shop window of Burton's now. Anytime hey, soon, you don't pull off jumpers like this unless you've got a bit of fashion about you. Know. Bit surprised doesn't really work as an audio uh, format, but I'm a bit surprised you haven't got the top on now, mate. I thought you wouldn't have taken it off. <laughs> it's, it's in the wash. It's in the wash. Right. Yeah, it's all right, though, isn't it? It seems to have gone down quite well, Connor. The, the reaction that you got to it. I mean, they they seem to have sort of purposefully gone for maybe a slightly younger market with it. It's, it's, I don't know, an urban design, I suppose you might say. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm the first person you think of when you think of urban and street. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it makes sense, really. No, it's 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 nice. I like it. It's it, For me, it's the best of the three. Um, I don't know what you guys think. Maybe that maybe that could be quite telling. If, if I like it and you guys don't, then maybe they've been successful. Um, not, not to call you old, but... <laughs> Um, <laughs> what do you old folks yeah. think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not phrased that particularly well, am I? I've probably stitched myself up there, but um, <laughs> no, I, I, I like it. I think it's um, it's it's smart. It's probably one that it's gone down pretty well with supporters as well. I think it's it's um, I think that'll be reflected in the sales figures. Um, it's got to be a pink, so I'm I'm happy with that. Um, yeah, all, all good all round. I hope they wear it more than the 
more than the petrol blue. Well, that's the last time you'll be hearing Connor on the pod. So, um, <laughs> um, no, I think it's all right. I think it looks like a goalkeeper kit, but um, yeah, it's, it's quite, um, you can see how it's quite fashionable. But um, yeah, it's been a while since I uh, bought a football shirt. Anyway, let's um, let's get to the game. And um, it was only two changes in the end, but um, Lucas Rupp coming in, um, Campwell, um, uh, of course, dropping out, Dow as well, and Poeta getting the start. So a, a sort of a change to a 4 1 4 1. Skip playing in that deeper holding midfield role. Um, and, you know, let's start with Rook. Um, I thought he was good. I actually gave him a man of the match narrowly a, a ahead of Skip. Um, but I thought it was a real step forward for him. Daniel agreed after the game. I said to him that I thought that was his best game in a Norwich shirt. And Daniel agreed with that. So hopefully we're going to see a bit more to come from him because... Connor, to me, it feels like he's become a bit of a scapegoat. And yeah, OK, he hasn't been brilliant since he came in. But I, I think he's had a bit of unfair criticism when compared to, to other players. Yeah, I think he offered a hell of a lot more than Kenny McLean did. That's for sure at, at Dean Court. Um, I, I really feel for him, actually, and, and, and the response that he's got from, from supporters. because, And I get it, it's because of A, the time that he came in and, and B, the fact he was in the team perhaps, and if he was in the team in the Premier League, it would often be because of Emi Buendia. And um, I, I know supporters feel strongly about him, and, and rightly so. But that is a guy who has played so many games in, in the Bundesliga. You're, you're not a bad footballer if, if, if you play that many games at that level for me. So there's clearly a footballer there, and he is never going to be someone who scores goals from midfield or particularly creates goals in midfield. But he offers the team a balance, um, and he never stops running. I think he, he does a, a very effective job at, at winning the ball. And I actually think if long-term you wanted to get Mario Vrancic in the team, then I think it, you, for me, you'd have to have someone like Lucas Rupp in there, someone who can run, someone who does have the mobility and the physicality co to compete. And um, I agree. I thought he was one of Norwich's best performers, actually. And, and particularly in the first half, he linked with Hernandez really well. And, and every time that Hernandez got on the ball, really, it was because of a Lucas Rupp pass. So um, I... I really, yeah, it is a scapegoat element for me. Um, it's incredibly harsh. I, I felt that he was one of Norwich's better performances. I've seen sort of comments of average. Well, for me, that's that's maybe people not really understanding what he offers to the team because, um, as I said, he's never going to be someone who who is in the highlights. But if you're a player alongside Lucas Rupp, if you are an Oli Skip, if you are an Oli Hernandez, if you are a, a Prima Chef Poeta, you're really grateful he's in the side because he covers yards, he wins the ball positionally, he's, he's very good as well. Um and look, he's, he's not Norwich's best midfielder, we know that, but he does offer a, a, a bit of functionality and, as I said, balance. And, and that's really key. They really lacked that last season in, in, in the middle of the park. They really lacked balance. And for me, if as I said, if you want to get the best out of Mario Vrancic, for me, having Oli Skip and, and Lucas Rupp around him, as we saw when, when Vrancic came on, um, would be a, a, a really good way to do that. And um, I certainly felt like he offered more in there than, than Kenny McLean did. But the more I think about that sort of midfield setup now, increasingly, it, it doesn't really feel like what we've become accustomed to under Daniel Farker. I think a year ago, we were probably talking about it being too technical. I think now we're probably talking about it not being technical enough. And I've kind of been thinking, well, I wonder if he, if he's kind of thinking about the success that Liverpool have had with their midfield, not to draw comparisons in terms of quality, but they don't really have a, a technician in there. It's all about being functional and, and supporting play rather than perhaps having a drastic effect on it. And I wonder if that's maybe what he's trying to create, but it's going to be interesting to see what Sorensen can add to that when he comes in and whether he can offer a physicality and an offensive thrust. Um, and I felt Lucas Rook supported the play really well, both from an offensive sense, we saw the, the shot he had um, outside of the box, but there was a tenacity to his play as well. There was a moment in the second half where he cleared the ball, he got headed back and he raced through the, the Bournemouth midfield to, to win a header that set Hernandez racing down the right. So there's there's plenty of good stuff in his game. Um, and I would be disappointed if it is the case that he does become scapegoat, scapegoated and he does become a figure that maybe is is um, under, maybe not underappreciated, but but certainly criticised for performances that I, I certainly don't think are, are, are that bad. And um, I certainly don't think they've been as bad as perhaps people have made him made him out to be since he joined the club, really. But I, I, I get why, um, because he's, he's not a midfielder that, that he's ever going to sort of have loads of goal contributions. Um, and, and people maybe struggle to understand what he offers. But 
there's a lot there and there's a lot that he will provide to Norwich City's midfield this season for me. And um, I think based on that performance on Saturday that he has to be certainly a contender to start against Derby next week. Yeah, I'd be surprised to see Daniel dropping, to be honest. Um, and I th- I think, you know, McLean does offer the aerial um, asset further forward. In you know, they were up against a three-man defence, so Pookie was reasonably isolated. But I think I'd be tempted for a home game against a Derby team who aren't doing too well at the moment to, to bring Vrancic in for McLean because him and Rupp know each other. They played together at... Paddeborn or Darmstadt, one of the two. Um, they've known each other for quite a long while, haven't they? Rupp certainly had an understanding with Onel Hernandez that the first half an hour, Hernandez was everywhere. And then, then he started to get a bit frustrated. But, you know, Rupp, Hernandez, Kintia, they all forced decent saves from Begovic. Tim Krul w- w- was kept pretty busy as well. Um, but but sort of watching from a, from a far pad, what what did you sort of <laughs> make of the Well, what, the goal, if we start with the goal... Um, do you think Zimmerman, uh, Daniel sort of sort of almost phrased it as in that there wasn't much more they could have done to prevent the goal just because of the quality of the back heel and the finish. But that's, I don't think I fully agree with that because I think Zimmerman was too tight. I think McLean was a bit lazy with his attempt to, to cut the ball out. Godfrey maybe even with the initial pass. I mean, yeah, what did you make of it sort of watching from afar? Well, I mean, all those elements, yeah, I would agree with, but there was a couple of incidents on the highlights package anyway where there was far too much room afforded by Norwich defenders inside the box and Krull made a couple of decent stops. But yeah, it's not, to me, centrally, those two haven't really... I know Daniel was fairly robust in his defence of Godfrey and Zimmerman when there was a lot of questions. He had to feel all about why Ben Gibson wouldn't come into his thoughts for, for last Sunday. Um, but for me, I think it's long overdue. It really is now because I don't think Zimmerman is quite the Zimmerman uh, he has been in his in his better days for Norwich at the minute. Why that is, I don't know. Whether he needs a, he's had a lot of injuries. If you look back over the last sort of twelve months, where he's just struggling just to get back to that consistent level of match performance. But uh, no, for for me, I, I thought he was far too far away from Dan Juma. As good a goal as it was, it was an excellent skill firstly to buy him the space and then the finish and apparently that was his weaker foot but he looks a player to me I'd have, yeah, have, have a look at his, his, where he's come from and you know they paid 14 million from, from a Dutch club I think so you know he, and he's only 23 so I think there's a guy they keep him fit he will score a bag full in this level this season um, so so I can see where Daniel was coming from and maybe tilting it more towards it's just a quality goal you have to hold your hands up but I think Zimmerman, he's an honest lad. He'd be disappointed himself that he was beaten. And then the turning circle, he was far too laboured to try and close down the space again. Um, so for me, I felt it before Sunday. I certainly felt it after Sunday. It has to be Gibson and, and, and I would go Godfrey. Um, and I put that point to him because to Daniel Friday, last about, well, you're playing Godfrey left-hand side, but you've said Gibson's your only naturally left-sided centre-back. And Daniel came back with his, he would have no issue playing those two at all. He thinks that, that Godfrey could easily switch to the right. Um, and that, that's that's a partnership that, that he could see uh, at some point in the near future. So for me, they pursued Ben Gibson very aggressively through, through the summer. He's now had three slash four weeks to get back up to speed, to adapt, to, to sort of assimilate what Farker wants from his team in terms of shape. Let's get him in. Let's get him in. What's the point of going and getting him all summer and then not playing the lad? Um, given I think there's enough evidence so far this season to say they're not really secure enough at the back yeah no pressure on Ben at all because <laughs> Norwich fans are building him up game by game aren't they that he's going to be some sort of messiah that when he arrives in central defence but yeah I, I think with Zimmerman uh, he he kind of sums up where a lot of the players are that for me it, it feels like it's proving a real slow process to rebuild the confidence because that's a massive thing after you've come down from the Premier League, isn't it? And, and suffered a relegation, let alone the relegation that Norwich had just had, which was was particularly grim. And I think some of those players who were inhibited by it, yeah, they are, they're struggling to, to kind of get back to what they were and, and believe in themselves again that that's how good they can be in the Championship. Um, Connor, I did... Daniel did answer a question about Marco Stieperman as well and just said that um, he, he was fine. He actually felt a bit bad about leaving him out of the squad. He went with Mario Vrancic on the bench instead of him. Um, and he said that his back issue has sort of uh, cleared up a little bit, but he'd been pretty good in training. So, of course, he's he's to come back into that mix as well. I mean, um, I guess he, it's unlikely he'd come straight in ahead of Vrancic, but... 
you know, this is a guy who had a major, major part two years ago. Yeah, he is, and, and scored what double figures, wasn't it, or, or nearly double figures in, in the championship last time around. So clearly, a, a, a talented option at this level. I would caveat by that by saying I don't think he's really had a standout performance in in about a year. So so that is the concern. Um, for me, based on the evidence, I think he, he was probably right to go with Rancic. He, he certainly offered them a different dynamic and I think he probably gets away with it a bit more at this level, his, his lack of perhaps physicality and mobility, um, particularly as as we spoke about Rupp and I guess McLean as well. If, if you get runners around him, um, then I certainly think that, that that's probably more of a credible option as, as we push forward, particularly if they're looking to, to life without Todd Campwell. Um, so... For me, I can see why Vrancic is ahead of him uh, at this moment in time. But look, Stiegman's a very good option to have. He's a very awkward player to, to play against. We know what he offers to Norwich City's attack and how much Timu Buki benefits from playing with him as well. So it wouldn't surprise me in the near future to see to see Stiegman back behind Timu Buki. Um, but I think for, for Saturday, it will be a case of, of, of Mario Vrancic coming in, actually, and, and maybe Kenny McLean dropping out for me. Um, Again, I, I think it's it's difficult if Campwell and Wendia do come back in to see how Marco Stiefman gets into the 18 at the moment. But that's kind of the, the headache that Daniel Farker's got from having such a big squad. And he's, he's blessed with that. But again, it's it's the management side of it, isn't it? And, and that's that's what's going to be incredibly difficult because it might be easy for, for Marco to accept being sort of left out for, for one week. But if he's training really well over a, a longer period and Norrie Trump perhaps getting the results and he still finds himself out of the 18, then he's probably going to going to have some questions to, to pose so it's a, a difficult dynamic um, but for me Mario Vrancic probably offered them what they didn't have I, I felt in, in that second half and um, it certainly kind of felt like if it had been on at half time then Norwich might have had that that creative spark that, that we haven't that we sort of felt was missing so um, yeah I, I, I fully expect to see Mario Vrancic uh, if not in the starting 11 then certainly on pretty early against Derby if, if the game isn't going in the way that, that Norwich will hope. Yeah, and Hugo put himself around a fair bit as well when he came out on late on. I, I thought he should have been on a bit earlier, really, and I, I would have just replaced Pookie rather than just chuck Pookie, uh, uh, Hugo and Ida all up there because in the end, I thought they sort of ended up getting each other's way a, a little bit and I didn't think it really worked. The, the, the chances weren't flowing towards those strikers enough. Uh, Pojeta as well, and I thought he had a fairly innocuous day that looked a little bit like maybe he needs to deal with that sort of a quality like Bournemouth, who, you know, second half, they, they just didn't take chances. You know, they, they were pretty streetwise. Certainly in, later on, they were getting the ball in the corners and, and not taking risks. Um, and and they were they were pretty comfortable in, in, in most ways during that. I felt like once the subs came on, that Norwich actually lost their way a little bit. So apart from Vrancic, who did offer uh, at least a bit more incision and, and, and was trying to create things and, and spray the ball around. So, um, yeah, inter- interesting times. Um, no less than England's record goal scorer, Wayne Rooney, coming to Cow Road on, on Saturday. Um, you know, I don't know how old is he now? 34, 35, just seems to be sort of waiting out Philip Koku for the for the manager's job, really, doesn't he? But, um, yeah, they, they've conceded eight, scored one, uh, lost all three so far. So that's going to be... Uh, It's going to be really interesting. Right. Thank you, boys. Um, Thank you very much for listening as well. As ever, if you're not subscribed, then please do. We always try and get a pod out to you every week after the game. And any ratings or reviews, always very uh, much appreciated on your chosen podcast platform. Uh, Pinker.com is the place to go for all the latest Norwich City news and views. Of course, we've got the YouTube channel, all our social media accounts. We're we're everywhere. You can't miss us. But uh, for now, enjoy the rest of your week. Let's hope that they can uh, get a win against Derby so at least they head into the international break in in decent spirits and then when they come back from that international break the transfer window will be closed and we can stop talking about all this uncertainty and start cracking on well for a few weeks at least until there's another international break what fun thanks very much for listening we'll catch up with you soon